0: Hello SHIELD Online Podcast listeners, this is Lieutenant Roger McCourt from the Salvation Army in Napa Valley. Thank you so much for listening. You may have noticed that this message posted a day late. There was a tragic double failure of our recording equipment this weekend, so we have re-recorded this week's sermon specially for you. I hope you enjoy. Grace and peace to you all today. This week I ran across the history of a man who was called Honi Meagel, better known as Honi, the circle drawer. Honi was known to be a man of prayer. Like the prophets of old, people thought of him as having a special connection to God through his prayers. And one year they'd gotten deep into the rainy season, but there had been no rain at all. And Honi prayed, but there was still no rain. So he drew a circle in the dust, and he stood inside of it, and then he prayed again. And this time he said... Master of the universe, I swear by your great name that I am not budging from here until you have compassion on your children. At this, the rain began to just drizzle down. You know, that kind of heavy mist, not really quite a real rain. But Honey said, That is not what I asked for. I asked for rains to fill the cisterns, trenches, and reservoirs. And as he prayed that, immediately the rains began to come in torrents, lashing down in sheets. And then Honi said, that's not what I asked for. I asked for rains of goodwill, blessing, and generosity. And as he prayed this, a proper rain began to fall. Now, hearing about this, Shimon Ben-Shitak, the head of the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin, sent a message to Honi. And it said, I would have excommunicated you for your blasphemous behavior. But what can I do against you, you who nags the Almighty and he fulfills your wish, like a child who nags his father and his father fulfills his wish? Shimon was astounded that God would respond so graciously to Honi's bold prayers. Which I can understand, because it seems amazing that the God who created the cosmos would care to hear, let alone respond to, the prayers of a human being. But the truth is, God provides all we need, if we ask. We see it happen in scripture and we experience it in our lives and the lives of those around us. We just need to trust and live inside of that promise. That's part of what Jesus is encouraging his followers to do while he's teaching them the message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And we have spent the last several weeks looking at it piece by piece. And today we're going to look at the last main section before he starts to wrap up. So grab your Bibles and flip to Matthew chapter 7. And if you're using one of the blue Bibles we've got on the cart, that's in page 971. If you're working with a different Bible, it's about three pages into the New Testament. give you a second to find that. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start with verses 7 and 8. And I'm reading today from the New International Version 2011 edition, which is what we usually use while we're preaching here. Matthew 7, starting at verse 7. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, forgive me for getting word geeky for a moment, but there's something I thought was interesting which I want to share with you. Matthew, writing this account of Jesus' life, wrote it in Greek. That was the common international language of the day. And in Greek there are different words for different kinds of asking. And in these verses in Greek, the word for ask is that which gives an idea of a dependent child making a request of a parent. Like when I was first in college, I was still living at home, I didn't really have a job, and I would go to my dad every week and ask him for gas money so I could get to and from my school. It was making a request to supply my needs. That's the kind of ask being referred to here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Everyone who asks receives if you search you will find all you need to do to open the door is knock. Now part of the challenge of breaking Jesus's sermon into pieces and looking at it one piece at a time the way we've been doing the last few weeks is that we tend to forget it was originally a single message just preached straight through. It was one teaching it wasn't a dozen. Everything was focused on helping his followers understand how the kingdom of God was to be, what was required to be a citizen and and how citizens of the kingdom were to live their lives. This whole ask-seek-knock thing is both a continuation of what he's been saying and a reminder of something they should have already known, which is that God provides all we need so long as we remember to ask for it. Jesus brings this up a lot when he's talking to his disciples, so it must be important. And it must be something they forgot quite a bit, because he comes back to this again and again and again and again and again and again. Let me give you a couple of examples from some passages here. This is uh, in Mark chapter 9. There's a man who brought his son who had a kind of epilepsy, which the man thought was an evil spirit, to Jesus because the disciples couldn't cure him. And the man said, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And in Mark 9, 23, Jesus says, If I can, everything is possible for one who believes. At which point Jesus rebuked the spirit and told it to come out and never return to the boy again which it did. And later the disciples crowded in and said, why couldn't we drive that out? In Mark 9, 29, Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Then in Mark 11, Peter is shocked by seeing a miracle prompted by something Jesus did, and he points out that what Jesus had asked for had happened. This is Mark 11, starting at verse 22. Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. Which makes sense, right? Who is it we're speaking to when we pray? It's God, right? And if we're praying to God, are there any limits on what he can do? In one of his last days before being arrested, Jesus reminded his followers of this again when he said in John fourteen twelve 12-14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What awesome power he's promising! You remember how earlier in the Sermon on the Mount he told them that they would be blessed when they were persecuted, because in that way they were like the prophets of old? Think about what life was like for those guys, those prophets. They were living for God every minute of their lives, and when they prayed, amazing things happened. Think about Elijah, one of the greatest prophets. In 1 Kings 17, we hear the results of several of his prayers. So it's just There's a whole bunch of his things that he asked for that all line up in that particular chapter. He prayed, and God stopped the rains from falling on Israel. Not just for a few days, but completely stopped. Until a point three and a half years later when God had Elijah pray for the rain to start again, and it did. During the drought, though, Elijah had to go into hiding because the king and some other folks affected by the lack of water weren't very happy with him, as you might expect. The woman he hid with was a widow, very poor, who had only a small jar of flour and a little bit of olive oil left in a jug. And Elijah came, and as he went to stay with her, he said, could you, could you make me some bread? And she said, This is all I've got. So Elijah prayed, and God turned the jar and the jug both into an unending supply of flour and oil. Elijah and the woman and her family had all the food they could eat the whole time that he stayed with her. All from that little jar and that little jug. And while Elijah was there, the woman's son, he died. He got sick at first, and even though they cared for him and tried to nurse him back to health, it eventually came about that he just stopped breathing, and was dead. It happens. In those days, it happened a lot. It still happens today. But to this woman, who had already lived through the death of her husband, the grief was crushing, was unbearable. Not that the death of a child is ever tolerable, but this just ended her world. She turned on Elijah, accusing him of bringing God's attention to her sins and getting her son killed as a result. And the prophet, he took the boy's body and he laid it out on a bed. 1 Kings seventeen twenty says that then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. He prayed. He prayed with passion and purpose and he questioned God, did you do this? If anyone ever feels guilty about questioning God, just remember even Elijah had questions for God God, are you responsible for this tragedy? But then he prayed. He said, Lord, let this boy's life return. And verse 22 tells us that the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Because that's what they needed. The widow needed her son alive to love so that her grief and guilt wouldn't end her. And Elijah needed the boy to live so that he could remain in his hiding place until it was time for him to be seen again. They needed that son alive and breathing, active, full of laughter and tears like the rest of us. They needed it. And God provides all we need when we ask. That's what happens for people like Elijah who live inside that promise of God. It's what Jesus demonstrated in his own life and what he said could be a part of each and every one of ours. Remember Matthew 7, verse 8? For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, You're probably all thinking you could pray to win the lottery or to rule the world or have your enemies just die so that you don't need to bother working out what it means to love them, right? Except there's something more here. Something which applies, though it may take some thought to understand. Here's what Jesus says next, verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? When your child, that tiny, mobile Moppet, whose flesh of your flesh, blood of your blood, created at least in part because you took steps to make them, comes to you with hunger in their big, shiny eyes and says, Please, may I have something to eat? Are you going to look down at them in love and hand them a fistful of razor blades to chew on? Of course not. Now, bread and fish, those were the staples of life in first century Palestine, especially around Galilee, where Jesus lived and taught this is what people ate every day. It was the food that sustained them. Jesus has drawn a picture of a helpless child turning to the one person they trust most in the world, the one who has the most responsibility to see that they're fed, clothed, sheltered, and held safe and asking that person to provide the most basic element of that care. And then Jesus says, you know what, no matter how screwed up we might be, we all understand that this is something we can do, because it's right that we should do it. So how much more will the Father of us all do the same? This is a kind of rabbinic teaching which Jesus was very good at, called kol WaHomer homer in Hebrew. Oh, don't worry, there won't be a test on this later, but it's going to come up a few times. Kol homer It can be translated as light to heavy or lesser to greater. Hillel, who was one of the ancient sages who lived and taught before Jesus, he made Kol homer his first rule of interpreting scripture. And many of the sages and rabbis used the principle to demonstrate the points that they debated. Essentially, what this rule says is that anything which applies in a less important case also applies in a more important case. What matters in light things also matters in the heavy things. Colwell Homer. You can often see this kind of rhetoric being used when you see the phrase, how much more, in an argument. You're evil, but you know how to give good gifts. So, how much more will God give good gifts? What Jesus is arguing for here is our image or idea of who God is. He's saying that God isn't some reluctant stranger who can be begged or manipulated into giving us what we need. He's not a malicious tyrant who takes some kind of sadistic pleasure from playing tricks on his creation. It's not even right to view God as like an indulgent grandparent who's willing to give their grandchildren whatever they're asked for. Instead, he is the best of fathers, ready to equip his children with all the good things that they need. In Isaiah chapter 49 verse 15, the Lord says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born?" But though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, God remembers us. He cherishes us. And he will give us good gifts. Psalm 37.4 says that if we take delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And in Psalm 84.11, we hear that the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. You know, human parents may prove to be untrustworthy but God is always faithful and always true. Do you know what that means? That means God is never going to give any of us a bad gift. Never. Not even if we ask. Pastor Chuck Swindoll once wrote, God may not give us what we ask because he is too wise, too kind, and too knowing for that. If your picture of what Jesus meant when he said, ask and it will be given, was of some kind of heavenly Santa Claus ready to parcel out whatever you selfishly think would give you a thrill, that's not it. Ask, seek, knock, right? Ask for what you need. How do you know what you need? Well, you need to seek that out. Seek and you will find. Seek for God's will. Why? Because we know that God will never give a bad gift, So when we're seeking his will and we find it, which we will, because when you seek, you will find, then what we ask for, when we ask for what is needed, it will be given to us, no matter how small, how big, how common, or how impossible that request may be. God provides all we need if we ask. So we need to remember to live inside of that promise which we do by seeking his will, which we should be happy to do because we know that God will only ever give us good gifts. He will only ever do for us what is good. After all, God is love. Now, why do I say that? I say that because that's what scripture teaches. It's throughout the whole book, from the beginning to end, but it's particularly blatant in places like 1 John chapter 4, which says, and I'm going to quote this directly so that you can see how it puts it, where I got this God is love stuff from, it says in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. In fact, it says that more than once. Here it is again in 1 John 4 verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love and he acts according to what I'm going to call the principle of love. Okay, I confess I didn't come up with that name, but I like it. The principle of love. Some people call it by a different name and that's Okay. Jesus didn't use a fancy name when he taught about it. He said, ask, seek, and knock. He pointed out that God only gives good gifts. And then he said, this is Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus speaking, he said, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, like much of what he's been teaching, this is the opposite of what the world generally does, even though there are a lot of people who pay lip service to this principle of love. What we see from the world is better referred to as the principle of retaliation. Particularly in societies formed by honor and shame more than by what we think of as right and wrong, things that paid in honor would be rewarded, while things that brought shame would be avenged. Or at least that was the thinking. One who did harm to another invited that other to do harm in return. You kill one of ours, we kill one of yours. You act in a way we don't believe respects our laws, then we're going to enforce sanctions against you. You send protesters, we send riot police. You call me an idiot, I call you a pinhead. See, this is the opposite of what Jesus was instructing his followers. What Jesus was teaching was not terribly different than what any of a dozen other great thinkers had suggested as a better approach to life than the principle of retaliation, though. To single out one example... going to stick with uh, my buddy, Rabbi Hillel. Remember this story about him? He was approached by a non-Jew who said he would convert if Hillel could explain the entire Torah to him while he stood on one leg. And Hillel said to him, Do not do to your fellow what you hate to have done to you. This is the whole law, entire. The rest is explanation. Go, learn. Jesus is saying the same thing, but he's phrasing it positively. He's stepping it up a bit. Instead of simply requiring that a person do no harm, he's moving them to go beyond that, to reach out to help. As one commentator said, in its negative form, the Golden Rule could be satisfied by doing nothing. The positive form Jesus used moves us to action on behalf of others. The Golden Rule, this principle of love, it's not a maxim like honesty pays or something like that. Jesus doesn't tell us to do something because we expect others to repay our actions. We are to do because that conduct is the goal of the law and the prophets. That's what sums up means in this case. The law and the prophets, those are the Hebrew scriptures, the main teaching sections of what we now think of as the Old Testament. And the point of them is to teach people how to heal the world so that it can once again become the kingdom of God. Jesus told his followers that the kingdom of God was at hand, that was breaking in, becoming established in our world. The whole of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is pointed to this idea in verse 12. Following this principle is what fulfills the Scriptures. It's what establishes the kingdom of God in this world. And it's how you and I show our allegiance to the King. The principle of love doesn't replace the Torah. It doesn't replace the law. Instead, it's the whole point of what had come before. It's the whole point of what Jesus was trying to get through to his followers. And it's the whole point now in our lives here today. The principle of love is how Jesus lived his life. As his disciples, we are to be like him. Jesus shows us what God is like. And we are to be like Jesus, reflecting God out to the world around us. God will only ever give good gifts. That means we are to only ever give good gifts. In everything, do to others what you wish they would do to you. One of the early church fathers, a guy named Chrysostom, said, Since you know what you wish others to do to you, it's clear what you ought to do for others. And this is no quick teaching that just gets mentioned once. Jesus comes back to this principle again and again, like I said, and we see that some of his earliest followers, they really got it. Guys like Paul and James in particular, they repeat it to everyone who will listen, trying to help people realize that this is the key. It's by living this out that we enter the kingdom of God and take up residence as citizens. It's by living this out that we take our place as subjects of the Most High. Here's how Paul puts it in his letter to the church at Rome. It's Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Got all that? James wrote about it this way. This is James chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And in those days, to break the laws of a kingdom often meant exile or execution. It meant that you were not able to ask the king for the support a citizen would be granted. Remember, God provides all we need if we ask, but we need to live inside of that promise. God treats us according to the Golden Rule. We need to treat Him the same way. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask for what we need. We'll know what that is if we seek God's will, which we want to do because He only ever gives good gifts. And when we're asking for what we need, knowing that we've sought out the will of God, we will be able to knock with the boldness of honey the circle drawer, knowing that our prayers will be answered in the way that they should be, as if we were beloved children of our Heavenly Father. Because we are. God provides us with what we need if we ask. We just need to remember to live in that promise. Now they say that half of all people who hear a sermon on a Sunday morning have forgotten it by lunchtime. And that would make me feel bad. But obviously his disciples kept forgetting what Jesus told them too, because he had to keep reminding them. If Jesus can't get it across, how am I going to do it? But what Jesus did with his disciples is he sent them out to share his message. And as they practiced what he taught, they got better at remembering it. So I'm going to give you a job for the coming week, which is going to help you remember. We keep hearing that God wants us to love others, even our enemies. Today, we heard Jesus say we must extend the kindness we wish would be shown to us. So here's your mission. Think of one person in your life. That one you just thought of. The one who bugs you or maybe just makes you grit your teeth a little. Right, that one. Right there. Right there. You've got them in mind. You all have someone in mind now, don't you? Don't think about someone else. Think about that first person. No change in your mind on me. Well, I close this in prayer. I want you to commit to treat them according to the principle of love this week. Jesus says that we need to do this. Do this. Ask God to show you some need that person may have and ask him to help you meet that need. Seek out the best way, time, and place to do so. And then bring them that help or assistance as boldly as knocking on a door that you know is going to be open to you. Not because they're going to return the kindness, although we can certainly hope that will be the result, but that's not why. Do it just because that's what God tells us is the point to life. Building one another up, and living together in peaceful community. You've got someone in mind. The rest is up to you with God's help. Ask, seek, knock, and live life to the fullest. Let's pray. Father God, as we go out of this place this week, I pray that you would help each and every one of us find ways to show kindness to those around us. But particularly, Lord, for the people that we have in mind right now, that one person each of us has selected who we are going to try to find a way to bring them the help or assistance that best serves your will, Lord. Help us to be faithful to your principle of love and help us to act it out in their lives and in the lives of others around us as well. But, God, we're going to need help. None of us does this naturally. Never at, at first, anyway. Help us to, to practice, to build up our kindness like, like building up a muscle. Help us to, to, every day, work out our kindness. Just to stress it a little more so that the next day we could do even more than we did the day before. Thank you for your, your promises that what we ask for, you will deliver. Help us to always seek your will and to knock boldly. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.